0: Good morning. Back for more. That's good. It's a good thing. Hey, and there I go. All of a sudden, I told myself I'm not putting my hands in my pockets today, okay? I watched myself a little bit on the video that's all I could see and was just a little bit, all right? And I saw myself putting my hands in my pockets and my pockets and my So, you hold me accountable how many times I do that today, okay? Hey, last week I almost did it again. Last week, we started a three-part series on the Word of God. And last week, what we did is took a look at the importance of having a standard of truth. If it's not the Bible, what is it? Where do you go for your truth? And so, your truth, my truth, we all get to pick a truth. And, and that's not how God created things. So we, there is a, a truth, there is a standard of truth, and that's the scriptures. Did it ever claim that it was? And we looked at that last week. What did Jesus say about it? We took a look at that, and he emphasized just how much we could trust the scriptures. I, as a little kid, I'm not sure whether I got this from a movie somewhere or just in a dream sometime or whatever, but as a little kid, I, I just kind of had this, and it's, it's still in my mind... I just remembered, all of a sudden, there's this big, thick fog, and it's just all over the place. You can't see a thing except this mist, this fog. And it begins to clear away, and now all of a sudden, I'm seeing this huge stone, this huge rock that's there. And on top of the rock is the Bible. And we going, that's not how we got the Bible, okay? But as a little kid, I thought, oh, that's cool. That must be how we got the Bible, But it's not it at all. So what we're going to do is take a look today as to how did the scriptures get formed. And then kind of compare it, contrast it with some of the other religious books around the world as well. This Bible that we have is so unique. There's no other book like it. Before we get into that, I'd like for you to bow with me in prayer. Let's do that. Father, I thank you so much for the time already in worship. It's in giving that we really receive and and that we are blessed. But, Father, just now, as we look into your word and, and we consider these things, I pray that each one of us will hear you speak to us. So, Lord, speak to me this morning. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. A lamp into my feet and a light into my path its words will i hide in my heart that i might not sin against god how many of you have ever memorized that said that come on put your hand up yep vacation bible school right the okay it's just other awanas right some other kids programs that we always did that what i realized is that that is a direct quote from the longest chapter In the Bible all right so uh, for those of you who might know what is the book that contains the longest chapter in the Bible how many of you know that book how many know okay what book is it it's the Psalms okay how many of you think you know which chapter that is it's the longest chapter in the Bible and that number is 119 okay what you might not know okay 119 that's the longest chapter in the Bible Two chapters in front of that, 117, is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Now, it's not making up for doing the short thing, okay? That's not it. But if you just really want to impress all your friends at lunch today, okay, this is Bible trivia, okay? Shortest chapter, longest chapter, and in the middle of that, 118, it's the middle verse in all the Bible, all right, now you are going to be so impressive at lunch, right? Shortest, middle verse, and longest. That's where it is. But the reason why it's the longest verse, 119, or longest chapter, 119 is, is because it takes each one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and uses that to begin each line in an eight line stanza. Okay? So the letter Aleph in the Hebrew would begin each of those for eight. And then there are B and C and D, all the way through their Hebrew alphabet, which only contains 22 letters. But 22 letters, eight stanzas each, and that's what makes it the longest chapter in the Bible. You get it? Now, the real issue is, what's the theme? You see, the, the topic of all of those verses and all those thoughts is how important the Word of God is it's a lamp into my feet it's a light in my path if you want to know which way to go you got to be looking into the word because that's what god has revealed to us if you want to not sin against god you got to be looking into his word because that'll keep you from sin those kind of things and you'll just look all the way through 119 and it just elevates how important the word of god really is so we're going to be taking a look at how it's put together this morning and, uh, hey, you know, something else before I move on to the next, is there were some different, um, I almost did it, didn't I? Somebody caught me. Um, the, the Jewish traditions about their respect for the Word of God. When I found these things out, it really changed some of my own actions. Within the Jewish family, when they had their Bible in their home, when they, if they were fortunate enough to have one, they placed it the highest point in their home. Nothing got put above. They would make a shelf, whatever it was, but they would put the Bible above everything else. All right? If they accidentally dropped the Bible, they would pick it up, dust it off, they would kiss it, and then put it back. There is a respect that you see all the way through the Old Testament for the Word of God, just how they elevated it. Now, and to this day, I will not put anything on top of my Bible. I don't want it to be seen as just another book. If I've got a series of books, if I've got four or five, it won't be in the middle. It'll be on the top. That kind of thing. Because it is above every other book and needs to be treated that way. I think sometimes because we have them available so much, uh, many homes will have three, four, five copies of the Bible in their home. And it almost becomes commonplace. For me, I have it on my phone just because it's available and accessible, but I always have the written Word of God separate, individual, by itself, because I don't want even my own thinking process to become so common that, oh, yeah, it's another book on my phone app, okay? I, I don't want to do that. It needs to be held high in esteem. Um, I want you to read this scripture verse with me, if you would, please. I'd like for you to read it out loud. It doesn't have to be real loud, but I want you to read it because I think things happen inside of us when we read God's word for ourselves, okay? So let's read this together. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear. The story, the backstory story to that is Jeremiah hated as a prophet. And the king would not allow him in the, in the presence at all. In fact, if he showed his face, he was going to die. But God gives the word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah then tells Baruch... To write it down. And a lot of scriptures happen this way. The guy who writes it down is called an amanuensis, and that's used in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Paul would oftentimes quote his letter to Timothy, and Timothy would be the one to write it down. Same thing is happening here in the Old Testament, all right? So God gives the word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah has Baruch to write it down, then sends him to the temple to read it. As he does so, the people are realizing that they need to repent of sin. God is just pointing out their sin. He's calling them to repentance. It's right there in the temple area. And one of the guys says, oh, man, the king needs to hear this. But you can't be the one to do it. He'll take your life. So Jehudi then takes it in front of the king. And he begins to read what God has given to Jeremiah, what Baruch wrote down, now Jehudi is reading to the king. And as he's reading it, two or three columns, and the king goes, oh, cuts it, throws it in the fire. Cuts it, throws it in the fire. And that's what he thought of the word of God. Now, people don't literally do that today. But I think they actually do it today by not accepting certain parts of the Bible? Well, I don't really like that part, so I'll just kind of, right? Well, I'm not so sure about And though we wouldn't cut it, a lot of times what we do is in our minds, we push the delete button. Nope, don't like that part. That's why I put it in here. It's because this is what literally... One king did. But the Bible posts different signs. And one person said you kind of think of it as different guards or sentries along the way. And every once in a while, you'll see another one saying, don't mess with my word. Don't mess with the Bible. Don't mess with, okay? We're going to go there. The first one, Deuteronomy 4.2 says, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. Deuteronomy is that kind of Moses is going to leave this world and he's recapping a lot of things that are happening in, in the nation of Israel. And what he says is, Don't you add to it, don't you subtract to it. God's word is this important. All right. The next one says, He must be put to death. The backstory to that one is Deuteronomy 18, as Moses is reminding the people how important the word is. He says, Look, if a prophet commands it, you better do it no discussion and then he goes to but if a prophet commands something god has not commanded he's misusing god's authority and he's taking it upon himself so you put him to death that's how important god sees his word he hates it when people abuse it When people take, oh, God told me to tell you this, or whatever, okay? But the authority is God's given. It's not man's to usurp. And so that's what he's saying, put him to death. And the question then comes, well, how will we know whether or not this is from God? The answer is, well, if what a prophet speaks in my name doesn't come to pass, that wasn't me. So you put him to death. That's all there is to it. It's that important. Next passage. Proverbs, another guard along the way. Every word of God is flawless. Do not add to his words. In the New Testament, Galatians, let him be anathema. This follows up a portion of Galatians 1 where they're being confused by some different people coming in. And Paul says this, even if an angel from heaven... Were to come down and preach to you some other gospel than what you've already received, let him be anathema. What he's saying is, even if there's a deceiving spirit, a deceiving angel that comes down and says something, but it's contradictory to what you've already received, let him be anathema. And the Greek word, this means let him be damned forever. It is the hardest thing you can ever put in the Greek language. And what he's doing is just protecting God's truth, even if. And this is what he says. All right, and the last one here in this series, it's Revelation. We all probably have heard this one. Last chapter in the last book of the New Testament. Read this with me, if you would, please. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. How many of you are going to mess with God's word? Not me. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take away from it. This is what God has revealed to us. And that's why I want you to see just how important this book is, how it was put together, and then what our responsibility is. If you take a look at the Word of God and kind of match it up with other religious books along the way, this Bible that we have that sometimes we would take for granted, was written over a 1,500 period of time. 1,500 years it took to write this thing. Over 40 different authors. Now, that's more than seven times as old as America is. I, that's a long time. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, Asia, Europe, Africa. Three different languages, the Hebrew, the Greek mostly, but then some of the Aramaic, which was their common language of the day as well. All kinds of different occupations. You look in the Old Testament, some of the writers are kings, shepherds, farmers. How about this one? Cup bearer to the king. Do you know what a cupbearer is to the king? It's a guy who gets to eat and drink all the stuff that's going to the king. Now, I would sign up for that thing in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Uh, not a bad gig. Yeah, occupation, what do you do? I taste it all, man. Until that one piece is poisoned. And that's what the cupbearer to the king did. But he's one of the authors of the Old Testament. You look to the New Testament, you have fishermen, you have a doctor, you have a tax collector, you have the valedictorian of his class, Paul. You have all these different occupations, all these different people that God then, as we talked about last week, just within them, breathed the word through them, using their personality, using who they are, having them write down what God wanted to be written down. Now, how was this put together? Very simply, I had an entire semesters worth of graduate school on this class okay so you're going to get in about two minutes what it took me an entire semester to get collect all the books you have three columns one is yes this is the word of god we know this is from the apostle boom 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 and that kind of thing over here the no column nope this is not the word of god how do we know that because it would be contradictory to, or we would know that this, one of those books is, have you ever heard of the gospel according to Thomas? Okay. There's been PBS specials or something about the gospel according to Thomas. We know that Thomas, this gospel was not written until mid-century, the next, year, uh, the next century, Okay, about 150 to 170 A.D. It's not Thomas. Thomas was with Jesus. He didn't live that long, so it's not his. Why would people do that? They would do it so that their thoughts, which they thought were important, would be read. Back in about the year 150, if Mike Bratton wrote a book, you go, well, who's Mike Bratton? But if Mike Bratton read a book or wrote a book and I put Thomas's name on it, you might read that one. You see, that's what a lot of people were doing back in the day so that their thoughts, their book, would be read. Same thing happened here in America just a couple of hundred years ago. Women were not seen as authors. And so they would have a pseudonym, and they would have this, they would take a, man, a man's name and write under that name. As we became more accepting, they would use their own names, but not at first, not America. Same thing back in then. So we'd see some contradictory things. The Apocrypha. One of the books talks about praying to the dead. If you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament says, don't you dare go to a witch, don't go to a sorcerer, do not pray to the dead. It's that explicit, that clear. And now all of a sudden in the Apocrypha, one of them says, oh, you need to pray to. No, you don't. No, you don't. We have one mediator. Who's that? Jesus, right? We can go to the Father through the Son. That's it. So we know that's contradictory. So you have your yes column, your no column, and then your let's make sure column. Maybe this is let's let time test it, whatever. But they were very cautious to allow any of this middle maybe class get in. That's honestly how it came to be. If about the year 180 is called the Meritorian Canon, they had most of the books all gathered by then just a little more than 100 years or right at 100 years after Jesus. Let's compare that to some of the other books. 100 or 1,500 years, 40 different authors, all the different things. We have... uh, What's next? I don't want to... Oh, okay. Let's go to the Book of Mormon, just as a point of contrast, okay? The Book of Mormon, written here in America... By Joseph Smith or Joseph Smith is the the one who says that he found the golden plates how many of you know the story yeah, is, yeah, a few of you do found these golden plates and along with these golden plates because you couldn't translate it it was some kind of hieroglyphic stuff that nobody could translate and so along with these golden plates came these pair of glasses and as long as he put the glasses on he could translate the plates And it became the Book of Mormon. One man having access to golden plates with special glasses. Now compare that to 1,500 years and what God did, all that type. Not only that, but in the front of your Book of Mormon today, you'll see seven witnesses that said they saw the golden plates. Okay, it's still there today. It is. Four of those got kicked out of the Mormon church and said they never did see them in the first place but they'll still use them in the front of the book as witnesses. It's amazing to be able to just compare the two, the way that the scriptures were put together, and then the way that some other books were put together. If you look into the religion, they've not only got the Book of Mormon, but the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrines and Covenants as well. I don't have a problem sharing with Catholics. They have the extra books. With Mormons, they have the extra books. I don't have a problem with sharing with either of them because they both accept the New Testament. And that's the one that tells about Jesus and salvation. I, so the rest of it, I'll just kind of discard and, and not even enter into conversation. I'll just go with the New Testament, plan of salvation, those kind of things. Let's go to another topic. What about, there I went, didn't I? My hand is cold. It really is cold, okay? How about the Islam religion. What about Muslims? What do they have? The book is called the Koran, right? Koran, Koran. Muhammad lived 700 years after Christ. Now, you got to get that one in your mind first. 700 years after Christ. The Muslims would say they believe that Jesus was a prophet, but that Muhammad was the last and the greatest of all the prophets. And what they would say is Jesus was not God come in the flesh. That's what makes Muhammad the greatest. In the year 700 or so, in that century, he then puts together this book of Koran. It's 10 years in the making. He's kind of secluded himself to a cave, and he comes out with the Koran. Compare that to fifteen hundred years, God working through forty plus authors, all of these you just see it's unlike any other book ever. It just is. So I think that we need to reappreciate what God has given to us. Getting down to the, the near the end of it, um, the next last slide. God said very clearly, don't you add to it? Don't you take from it. But I think there's a third category that I'd like to share with you. Don't suppress it and exchange it. You see, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. He says, it's not like they didn't have the truth. They just didn't want it. They had the truth. It was given to them, and then they suppressed it. They put it underneath. They kind of, oh, let's just, we'll get to that later. Whatever, to suppress it. And then they continued in their sin, and the longer that they suppressed it then, they exchanged the truth, is what Paul says, for a lie. It's not like they didn't have the truth, they just really didn't want it. So you kind of put other things, and you put it aside. Now, you're getting bolder, and you'll take the truth, and you'll exchange it for what you really want to hear. And there are people like that all over the world, not really seeking the truth. They're just seeking for something to establish what they already believe. Because they don't want to change your lifestyle. I think to add to the word of God is wrong. To subtract from it is wrong. But then to suppress and exchange it is just as dangerously wrong. We need to accept it, embrace it, and then align our lives with God's truths. And then the last slide, the last thing I have for you this morning. What's it worth? If there is, in fact, a God, he needs to reveal himself. And that's what God does. He can't come to every individual person. And do everything within us or to us or prove everything. And so what he does is he works through every generation. And it's written down for us to be checked out. And next week we're going to talk about prophecies. We're going to talk about archaeology and how it proves, how it provides evidence for. But God reveals who he is. Not who we want him to be, but the God who really is. The second thing that it does is it reveals to us who we are. We are created in the image of God. Oh, my goodness. He loves you so much. What parent in seeing that baby? Oh, there's just a love relationship immediately to see a life in your image. And that natural relationship that should be there. God shares who he is. He shares who we are. We're in his image. And then the third thing is he wants us to know his will for our lives. Look, God is not a killjoy. God says, boy, if you get into this area, it's going to hurt. It's going to damage you. You're going to have scars. The Consequences you don't want, okay? And then he says, hey, this is the way you ought to live life. You will find it. You will find the best. If you do it this way, that's why John 10, 10 says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants us to enjoy life to the full. But it means avoiding this and doing this. And so I think it helps us understand the will of God. But ultimately, it's about gaining a right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. And that's why the Bible is there, to reveal all of these things to us. He loved us enough to become one of us, confined by time and space, even knowledge. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. He was limited. He was tempted the scriptures tell us he was tempted in all kinds of ways, such as we are. And yet he was without sin. See, that's who he is. The God who came down here became as one of us so that what? He could die on the cross, take our punishment for sin, and right that relationship. That's what it's about. It's not about banging people over the head with Bible. <laughs> Don't do that. But it's not about avoiding suppressing exchanging either yeah, we can't afford to do that either we come up with the god that we make instead of the god who is would you please i and here's again as you leave there are these booklets that are OK, as soon as you leave, you, you can have one. All right. The anonymous donor just paid for all these or about a buck apiece. If you want to throw something in the offering plate, go for it. You know, but it, these are, are good. Take them home. Take a look at it. Check out some of the things that I've said. OK, and here's the last thing. If you're in a reading program right now, awesome. If you're not, start with Jesus. Just start with one of the Gospels. OK, you might start with Mark. That's the shortest one. It's only 16 chapters. You might want to start with Matthew. Matthew goes back to the Old Testament. He says, See, it said this, and Jesus fulfilled it. See, it said this. That's Matthew. He's writing to the Jews. Luke, when he writes, he says, I know there were a couple of other ones out there already, but I need to write one. Got those three? And then John is written about 30 years later when he says, You know, all this is, and John gets a little deeper. It's called the spiritual gospel. He'll put down things that will just make you chew on it for a while. All right? So depending on what you want, but the reason I'm saying get in with the gospel because it will just make you fall in love with Jesus, and he's the one who brings us to the Father. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you so much for the grace that we have in Jesus. I thank you for the truth that we have. If we avoid, us, if we avoid it, that's on us. You've done your best to give us the truth, to bring us to you, to convict us by your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be open enough to just follow, and then we'll find meaning and purpose and love and what this life is really all about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.